just not what I am Even though my zip code has changed I might smile and enjoy Where I could be employed Your soul can't be rearranged But it's hard to understand It's so hard to understand Farewell, fam It's episode 19 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. With me is Ryan Topp, and J.P. Breen is gracing us with his presence once again. How's it going, J.P.? Just trying to get through finals week, that's all. Uh, are all the papers interesting and wonderful to read? The young minds you're molding? Well, I haven't gotten them yet. They're not going to turn it until the very last minute, and then I'll have the entire weekend to grade them right before the grades are due. Well, that's the college experience, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, the hot stove's finally cooking with Otani choosing the Angels and the Yankees working out a deal to acquire Giancarlo Stanton's from the Marlins. So uh, we'll discuss some of those moves and what to expect from the winter meetings uh, later in this episode. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It helps uh, fans find the podcast. So just take a minute, leave five stars, and write something nice about us. We want listener questions. So follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And you can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. Stranger Things apparently is one of the shows. I don't know. Either of you watch it? I have not started yet. No? Soon. Soon, no. sir. No? You two are just like outside of the pop culture consciousness, aren't you? I'm, I'm caught uh, up on Game of Thrones. There you go. Okay. Uh, for approxi- <laughs> if it's prior to 2013, I'm solid. Okay. So you're up on... Uh... Oh, God. What ended that year? Breaking Bad? Yeah. There we go. Okay. Well, at least you got that one. Uh, but anyways, if you're looking to create a professional sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. And for more information, visit sounddevices.com. But it should be a podcast not about the brewers because we don't need the competition. Like if somebody wants to make a professional sounding podcast. I just said they can do whatever they want. Sure. But I mean, we should not encourage competition here. Well, like but we're not in the business of encouraging people to compete with us. I feel like this is good content. Yeah, I'm sure people are going to be thrilled to, to hear this. So, okay. Uh, hey, uh, Otani did not pick the Brewers. Were we all surprised by that this week? Didn't we know that? No, we all knew that. That was that was a joke. <laughs> it was. No, I mean, like, what, weren't didn't they like publicly state they were, that he they wasn't were, coming to? The they Brewers? were publicly out of it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, they were they were not one of the final seven. So that that uh, PowerPoint presentation that they put together, or did, no, they just did the uh, fly the questionnaire questionnaire submission. Well, I think day. they did something more than that. The Cubs were the ones who. Uh, did you hear about that? They did a virtual reality what your experience would be as a Chicago Cub. <laughs> so they, I don't know if you like had to put on the mask or whatever, like start you know, put on all the the gear and like go through a virtual reality. Didn't you have a comment about that? Yeah. What, what's that smell? Oh, it's Wrigley Field. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it's. <laughs> does it is it also smell a vision? Like, yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyways, uh, Otani chooses the Angels. Uh, so Mike Trout actually has someone talented on his team. Hopefully, well, Andrelton Simmons exists. That, yeah, Andrelton Simmons. He's a great defensive player, but nobody really gets 
amped up for that. So, uh, JP, I mean, is there any expectation for Otani? Because I, I think we were talking about it. I can't remember if we talked about it last week or if we were talking about it. A lot. Yeah. The usage for Otani could be interesting um, as both a starting pitcher and a DH. I mean, do you see any potential uh, as far as the way that Otani could kind of change player usage uh, in the coming years? Or is he just a special case that we're not going to see again for a while? Yeah, I think he's probably a special case. I, I mean, maybe you can see it with Brandon McKay, who was just drafted this past year, maybe Hunter Green as well. But, I mean, even the Angels are refusing to to put him in the outfield. I think if they are going to use him, it's going to be via DH, and they'll probably use spring training to see and evaluate his, his ability to hit major league pitching. Um, I don't necessarily see it as an overly exciting thing. We'll, we'll see how it kind of comes about, but I was just thinking about like, how are, how are fantasy sites going to like fantasy baseball sites going to deal with the fact that Otani is actually hitting once in a while, because right now their entire algorithms don't use. I wonder if you would have to own Otani for a pitcher and then also like own a separate share of Otani as a, as a hitter. I heard they're treating him as one player, but they are obviously separate. He'll be a utility player on the hitting side and a pitcher on the other side. Well, most players have to play like X number of games at a position and then they get eligibility. So, I mean, I would imagine once he DHs 10 games, he should be available as a DH. All right. I'll allow that. (laughs) That seems fair. I think I think the most interesting thing following the Otani story over the last week and following kind of 24-7 comment about it, and every team's beat writer has to follow it and try to determine, you know, how how good was the team's relationship with Otani? What are they doing? What kind of PowerPoint are they using? Cubs are using virtual reality. And I was like, this is just like if college, if college football recruiting happened in Major League Baseball. I mean, you know, you had every team trying to make their best pitch. You had Otani, you know, releasing his final seven and then telling everybody they had like one big final visit. And then it came out that the Angels had the best relationship with the coaching and all of that. I was like, it was a flashback, except it was refreshing to see all of these people report on somebody who is, you know, not 16 years old. Um, But it was an interesting dynamic to see. And then I enjoyed watching Brian Cashman and the, the Yankees get legitimately offended and start complaining that, you know, it's not their fault that they that they're in the biggest market on the East Coast, and that's a disadvantage in all of these things. Uh, well, they could hook, it seemed hook like that up into my veins. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like they leaked because they were the first team uh, to leak that they were out of the running, and they got ahead of it before Otani released his his teams. They were the first ones to just basically publicly say it. Cashman said it to a reporter on the record: "We're out." They, he's told us we're out. And that felt like it was definitely a move to like get ahead of it and to be, oh, well, he he turned us down so that they could kind of try to control the story because he knew it was going to make everybody upset. Yeah, if we're going to be jilted, damn it, we're controlling it. Right, yeah. And the other thing, too, did you guys catch that note about some teams off the record? Now, not what you were talking about with the Yankees, but other teams talking about how they really didn't like how this process played out. And it was just funny to, you know, when they're in, when they have no control and the, the, like all these GMs, all these type A personalities, when they didn't have any control over the situation and they were just waiting for somebody to make a decision that impacted them and they couldn't, you know, offer money or 
other inducements or whatever, they just were helpless. And like they were complaining about it that they just they hated the situation, which was refreshing. It was beautiful to see them finally like be on that end of things for once. So the Yankees were pouting and uh, made kind of a rash purchase since they went out and <laughs> made a deal with with Captain Jeets down in uh, Miami. He decided to uh, send Giancarlo Stanton to the Yankees for uh, what most people think is a pretty good deal for the Yankees. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? So, yeah, I mean, it's a it's an incredibly strange situation because he had, you know, the ability to choose where he did and didn't want to go. And he told teams, you know, he, he basically flat out refused deals to San Francisco and St. Louis. And we don't know what exactly was in those deals, but the presumption is they were maybe a little bit better than what that those deals were at least a little bit better than what. Uh, they the Marlins ended up getting but it's such a strange situation because it's you know the largest contract by far to ever get traded so you've got that factor going in you've got the fact that he's got three years before he can exercise his opt-out clause so that's a little bit of a complicating factor where you're not exactly sure if this is a hundred percent it's likely he's going to not opt out and he'll just take the whole you know 295 million remaining but you don't know for sure. And then just the player has been such a enigma. I mean, he's coming off of an MVP or an MVP season this year, but it's by far his best season as a pro. And he's missed a lot of time due to injury. And you just don't know. He's going to be 28 next year and he's still got 10 years left on the contract. You just don't know what that's going to look like for the long haul. So it's just a wild situation. Obviously, if the Yankees get a World Series out of this, with him playing a key role in it, a World Series or two, it's you know it's fantastic for them. Um, but it does also feel a little bit like they're getting back into the that pattern that they had fallen into, where they were getting pretty deep into big contracts with players and ending up. They're just coming out of a time period where they had a lot of bad money on the books, and it caused them to struggle to be as competitive as they normally are. So. They seem headed back to that in a certain. I know, and we all way. feel bad for the Yankees for that. It's and a I really mean, tough situation to be for in. the short term. It's but, good, but I mean, yeah. the whole situation with the Yankees, though, having bad contracts on the book, the books. It wasn't so much that they had bad contracts on the books. It was the fact that they had neglected their farm for years. They can deal with bad contracts on the books as many as long as they want. They've got two hundred and fifty million. They can pay the luxury tax, and they've got a situation in which right now. They're trade. They're trading for one of the best bats, you know. Regardless of the fact that maybe you know once in a while he's only a two and a half win player and not a six win player, but I mean they've got one of the best farm systems in in, in the league, and that in effect is going to be a much better situation for them, regardless of contract situations, because then they can fill out their roster with exciting young talent, or they can trade for young controllable talent, or they can do a lot of things. The issue in the past wasn't the fact that they had a lot of bad money on the books. It was the fact that they didn't have an internal stream of of players to be able to fill out their roster or to be able to give them a core, I think. Because the bigger, the more you look at the free agency, and the more you look at the free agent market, that's not where you actually acquire team. Uh, that's not where you acquire talent to be able to push yourself forward. That's where you can get talent to be able to round out your roster. And as we've seen again and again, outside of Otani, because it's a strange situation, 
you are not acquiring anybody outside of uh, you know big trades or being able to develop talent within your system. You don't win championships by acquiring talent via free agency anymore. Sure, but one of the things that kept the Yankees farm from being good in that time period was the prospects were basically all going out in trade. They were rarely, until they, they flipped the switch a couple summers ago, they were rarely bringing in prospects. So they're, they're, that was a purely I'm a one-way thing. I'm surprised you don't think it's just because they were always picking at the back end of the draft. That, that was also a factor. They started picking more towards the middle, and that, you know, they I mean, because you basically believe guys. you can't get any decent talent once you're past, like, pick 10. It's getting harder and harder, so... I mean, it's getting harder and harder to, to, to expect a team that's constantly in the playoffs to get in that position where they can draft talent is difficult. It is. Well, and, there is and what, I was going to say one of the biggest problems with the Yankees for a long time, though, is they weren't actually targeting premium athletes in the draft. They yeah. were targeting they were targeting, you know, I don't even remember what his name, what his name was. But there was the the year in which they spent their first round pick on. uh the, the shortstop, the high school shortstop who nobody actually projected to maybe be more than a utility fielder, but they liked, they liked him. They liked the fact that he, you know, he was a spunky kid. He had a good makeup and and they thought he was maybe a good, a good bet to, to climb through the system more than some of the other athletes. And recently you've seen them prioritize premium athletes, both internationally and domestically. They're just getting smarter in terms of their, pl- in terms of their player development. They just, they neglected it for so long because they didn't care. They just didn't think they needed, basically thought they didn't need it. And Cashman publicly said that they were going to make sure that they were developing talent again. And I and I think that you look at a, most teams across across the board these days, you will not find very many teams that are neglecting player development like they did years ago. I think... Well, Baltimore, it's weird Baltimore because Orioles are like one of the weird ones that still just don't prioritize minor league talent. And it's weird, especially well, internationally. They really just punt yeah, out the international absolutely. market. But also absolutely. for the Yankees to, you know, completely ignore building that way. It was mm-hmm. funny since their dynasty was built on the group of players that they had come up through the system with Jeter and Bernie Williams and. Well, and it was it was also an effect of George being sure, suspended yeah. for those years, so he couldn't trade those guys away. Oh no, yeah, there's clearly clearly that story behind it as well. But yeah. um, so, anyways, uh, the Yankees shipped off Starlin Castro and the minor leaguers uh, uh, Jorge Guzman and Jose Devers. Uh, JP, is there any kind of comparable players to those guys from the Brewers? Not that we think a package from the Brewers would have gotten it done, but I guess like what's the level of player? Uh, that would be comparable to like the, what the Brewers have. I mean, we could probably you know make up somebody for Castro on the major league roster, but <laughs> Matt Garza. But, but the, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, but I don't even know if we can. I mean, that's that's the thing. Is Starlin Castro is kind of the linchpin on what's happening here because the Yankees wanted to get rid of a contract, and the Miami Marlins wanted a contract that they felt maybe they could flip. I don't know if it'll be this winter or it'll be this summer, but I can't imagine that they're going to be trying to keep Castro. So you don't think Castro and Braun are similar in that regard? No, no I don't. <laughs> um, but as far as, as Guzman and, and Endeavors are, are, are concerned, it's a weird match. I mean, Guzman, it depends on who you talk to and what you like because he's got arm strength for days and can touch triple digits but has no idea where anything else is going. And... 
gets by basically on premium velocity and he's a he's an arm strength lottery ticket and he's a guy that i know bp put outside their top 20 um i think baseball america probably had them a little bit higher maybe the same with mlb pipeline but he's basically a rookie ball guy who throws really hard and that's what miami has liked for years they've done that in the draft for years and it's not surprising to see them go and target that type of guy uh Dave, Devers is a guy that's going to get far more attention just because of who he's related to up in Boston but he's a potential you know he's he's actually a a, a nice player who just has some big flaws that it's going to take him a, a lot to overcome I think a lot of people like him as a potential utility guy if everything comes together but he's not anything exciting he'd be outside the top 30 in the in the Brewers organization I think Guzman would probably be outside the top 20 as well um I if you really have they're not similar players but I think you could try to I was gonna say like Carlos Herrera would maybe be somebody that could could connect there but even then, like they're not similar players, but they're the kind of the same level. I mean, Guzman has better stats, so maybe it's not a hundred percent comparable. But um, and better it's, pure it's stuff not, too, right? Well, if yeah, if you only care about the fastball, everything else isn't very good. I suppose, yeah. But I, it's it's not an attractive package. It's not anything that's going to really move Miami forward in any capacity. I mean, if they get lucky and they really hit on Guzman, that's fine. But I mean, you Miami can, was getting money off the books. Yeah, they absolutely. Were, they were clearing a contract. They were clearing a contract because MLB let somebody uh, buy a team that couldn't afford their team. And so they had to, they had to clear their, their, uh, they had to clear their payroll now. And that was what they basically told everyone. Everyone in the entire league knew it. Oh God, and they telegraphed that so hard. It so was, everyone knew it. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that surprising that they got nothing. Um, and it was a terrible process by, by the organization. It was a situation in which if they were competently running it, they would have tried to finance some debt to try to actually, you know, hold on to Stanton for, for six months or whatever it would have been. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a really crazy situation that basically one of the best outfielders in baseball was just being shopped because the Miami Marlins couldn't afford their roster. So, the thing about that, because you, you brought that up, we talked about that a little bit yesterday, the idea of holding on to him. Um, and I pushed back a little bit against that and said, there's some risk no, involved in that. There, but you always think there's risk in, in holding any player that ever exists. Well, okay. <laughs> to a point, there is. But the in this case, it's particularly, he's had, he had an outlier season and he's has a lengthy injury history. But and other than, but sure. Even with an outlier season, it's not like he's been a below average hitter at any point. He's still no. always one of the better hitters on any roster that he appears on. 2016 was uh, his worst season. And he had, so he'd had a down year and then he had this fantastic year. Um, so, yeah, so you're, but he, so you're he, he's also missed a lot of time. Of, so you're nervous because of one bad year and the fact that somebody could get injured. Well, he is the reason is the reason that you were that you're suggesting that they should have taken a deal that actually doesn't help them progress in their rebuilding in their rebuilding project. No, they shouldn't they shouldn't have been in the position to have to take a deal is the problem. That's that's the thing. 
they shouldn't have been in a position like you brought up the the fact that they were in such rough shape with their uh financially that they needed to do this was like the the beginning sin of it and how they handled it was obviously garbage you, you also talked about that but, yeah but they handled it so terribly crappy the, but even if you're talking about Giancarlo Stanton being an injury risk or he's missed time or you know last year was an outlier season the worst season he's ever had as a three and a half win player ever, ever in a big league, in a big league uniform. And actually in 2014, he was an eight win player, just like he was in 2017. So I have a real, with more defense then and a little bit more hit now. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, but I'm not, I don't necessarily know why that matters all that much, I guess. Oh, just, no, I was just, because this was his best year hitting that he did. Yeah, well, and yeah. you could make a pretty good argument that going to Yankee Stadium is going to be uh, pretty nice for his hitting statistics as well. You'd think, yeah, I mean, though it is a little bit better for left-handed power than it is for right-handed power, which actually brings up a good question. Do you think that this, how do you think this affects their, everybody's been looking at Bryce Harper going to the Yankees for, I don't know, like the last six years as a, a big potential thing to happen. How, what does this do to that for you? What is him I, being there? I don't necessarily know. I, I guess I haven't thought about it all that much. I've always thought that the Dodgers wanted him. You think but the Dodgers want Bryce Harper more than anybody else? I, I mean, that's, I guess, what I've always thought. I mean, I think that if you really wanted to pick a dark horse, I think the Astros are probably somebody you should look at. Oh, because they, um, they really could add payroll. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I and they've also they also have the ability to to make some interesting packages to get rid of some payroll if they really needed to. But well, I think that and they could the also Astros, make deals to get pitching from their young hitters that they have. Yep. So I know they, that I know that your biggest fear is that the Cubs are going to get Bryce Harper, but I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen. I was going to say the Cubs virtual reality presentation to Harper. I mean, that'll be <laughs> that'll be right in his wheelhouse. That's yeah. It's going to be some wild stuff. Yeah, that'll be. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully they they turn that into a game that we can all purchase and see what goes on. Also, there. apropos of nothing other than the fact that we name checked Starlin Castro a few minutes ago, he has twelve hundred and eighty hits in his career and he's twenty seven years old. Okay. That's I mean like he very easily could get to 3000. Well, he it's came just, up he came up at what? He came up at 20. I think he may have even been 19 when he was actually called. So, I mean, if you play a long time, yeah, you can collect hits. And he's just sort of been consistently like Yeah, I mean, adequate. he's solid. He's been consistently yeah. adequate in terms of like getting hits. He had the power cuz remember he was a huge prospect for the Cubs and he never developed into the all-around player that I think people, you know, Cubs fans had hoped. But he's, you know, he's definitely had a very solid career, more so than I think he was. So I, I usually remember that he's been pretty solid. And now uh, he can continue to try to be solid in relative obscurity in Florida. Exactly. For what? You, three months? Yeah, <laughs> and then, I'm sure that's what Miami hopes. Yeah. They hope, they hope that they can get a, a flip. Okay. Uh, so Tom Hardercourt had some info on... Uh, the Brewers and uh, David Stern's comments for the offseason so far, um, as far as uh, how likely it is that they pursue guys like Jake Arrieta and you Darvish. Uh, Stern said, our market and our history here probably is a better indicator of the types of moves we're seeking than some of the external speculation. So do we think uh, he's just trying to manage expectations? If it, if it means anything, 
which I'm not sure how much, you know, what GMs say ever means that much. Uh, it probably means that the prices on those guys that they've inquired about them and the prices for the top of the market are well above anything that they have any intention of paying. That would be my guess if it means anything, which I'm dubious on that to begin with. But, you know, yeah, if, I mean, I, I was going to say, I think if you if if you read the whole interview with Stearns, he said nothing. It was a lot of words. Oh, um, well, that's that's but, what all those interviews are. But. And but, he's very good at that. Like, well, he's good. very good because you know before that or after that, I don't remember which one it was, but he said our market and our history is probably a better indicator. Blah blah blah. And then afterwards, he was like, you know, but of course, if something opens up that's attractive to us, we still need to look at it. And I was like, right. So you're just he's just saying things because he needs to say things. And and to be fair, he's. That's like great for people like Hodricourt because you need to have some quotes like that to be able to put in that are interesting. But I also agree that I think it's largely, I don't think it's an indication that prices are, are bigger at the top of the market than, than we expected. I think that we've, well, at least I have, like I've expected that the, the top end of the pitching market is going to be expensive because the pitching market is terrible. And I think we've seen that because Mike Miner and uh, Tyler Chatwood both got three-year deals, which I don't think I would have pegged that whatsoever at the beginning of the the offseason, which, you know, I had, I had a tweet like a couple of years ago that I usually put at the beginning of every offseason, and I don't think I did this year, which I should have for myself, is that every single year I am going to think that uh, the first five or six pitching deals are going to be far more than I expected. Um and it's true again. I think that it's a situation in which Arietta is going to get a lot of money because there are teams that wanted Otani and they didn't get him and they're going to need an upgrade in the rotation and he's going to get paid. I, I guess, what do you think uh, it's going to take Ryan to get Arietta? And is it a number that the Brewers could possibly uh, afford? I mean, is it that 160 I think wasn't that like five years, one fifty, one sixty. If yeah, if you were trying to get him signed today, I don't see Boris accepting less than that. Like if he if he signs over, you know, in the next couple of weeks before Christmas. Let's By say. the way, we're all assuming that. I mean, Darvish just isn't even on the no. radar for the Brewers. The, yeah, we're because he's going to push two hundred million dollars. He can he can push significantly higher. I, yeah, if Arietta, I've said this a few times now here, if Arietta ends up on the Brewers, it's going to be late. It's going to, like, that will be a situation where the market didn't develop to the point that Boris wanted it to. And so he kind of went to some GM, or to, you know, directly to some owners and said, you know, we can, this guy can really upgrade your team. And he gets it that direction. But yeah, I mean, if Jake Arietta comes to the Brewers, over the next month, it, it's going to be over $150 million. Like, it, he's probably going to sign for less than that, I would guess, overall. Like, be below, you know, 150 and 6. But he's not going to sign early if it's under that. You know what I mean? Boris will hold him on the market. So, it, it, it's unlikely. It's always been unlikely that, you know, the Brewers were going to end up going in that direction. But... You know, they've, they seem to at least have kicked the tires on all this stuff. So, well, of course they have. 
But I think it's interesting that Tyler Chatwood basically got 13 or 14 million a year. I don't remember what it was. And he's never been more than he's never been more than a one win pitcher in his entire major league career. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it's wild, but people have been making the point. I I can't remember exactly who I saw talking about this. Maybe it was passing said the Chatwood deal is a pretty good indicator that teams are more than ever now paying based on what they expect a guy to do rather than what they have done. That is yeah, maybe it's on projection. the low end of the market. Um, sure. Yeah. But that this is, this is the way things are developing that we're going more towards teams are willing to pay based on projections and then they, you know, in the past would have been, because well, Chatwood pay- certainly hey, they're paying guys ago, a lot Chatwood of money. Doesn't get that money. They're paying guys a lot of money to come up with projections. So I guess you got to put those things to use, right? <laughs> I think that yeah, the the analytics departments don't they just like keep those people chained in there twenty hours a day and like throw them a pizza every couple hours and like <laughs> say here, you guys go ahead and you know, run another regression for us. Give me numbers. Yes, <laughs> spit out some numbers. Okay. I mean, so- I- I would think that the MLB, if that is legitimately the way things are going, if that's what if that's what Passon is saying, um, and I don't the know MLB, Passon, but the, the MLB Players Union should be extremely worried about that because the entire point of arbitration has been you are paid under what you have produced and will produce because when you're a free agent, you will be compensated well i mean the the players union has been behind on that for a while you know as they argue for you know batting average and home runs and you know players are being evaluated on war and other advanced statistics i mean once they get into arbitration so they're always kind of fighting that battle of figuring out how are players being evaluated and you know how are teams coming up with ways to pay guys yeah you know, they, they aren't privy to that information. They got to kind of figure it out on their own. So, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, also from Harder Court's article, uh, they noted that uh, Josh Hader performed well in the bullpen last year, uh, but the notion of transitioning him back to the starting role remains simply a topic of discussion. So, um, JP, do we think this means they like Hader in the bullpen that much or are they just kind of waiting to see how uh, the rotation kind of shakes out with the offseason before they make a final decision on what Hader is going forward? Yeah, I think it's definitely the latter. I think if they can somehow create or or cobble together a rotation that is competent um, and that ha- has solid pitchers in it and you can maybe put Brandon Woodruff in the back end until – Jimmy Nelson comes back or something like that, and you can actually craft a, a long-term role for Hater in the bullpen this year, I think it actually makes the team a lot better. Um, but I, if they strike out in terms of getting starting pitching, whether that's via free agency and you know the Lance Lynn's of the world, or if they can't acquire somebody via trade, I think that you'll see Josh Hader probably move to the rotation because they still need that potential uh, quality starter. And and Hader, I think, is better equipped to do that than somebody like Woodruff, who's probably a back-end starter, even if everything works out. At this point, where would you like to see him next year? Like, what's it, your preference? It completely depends on the roster. Okay, so you're you're also in that in that same situation. Where do you think he ultimately produces the most value? You mean in his career over the next over the control years? Let's talk about we'll just stick with the control years. You mean while he's a brewer, is he a reliever or a starter? Yeah. Where do you see his the best value? Like what where does he create the most value? 
does he create more value as a starter or is it better as a reliever at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm going to give an entirely unreasonable and unhelpful answer in that I don't know because the question marks with with Hater are things that we just haven't a chance had a chance to see. There's no way to evaluate it. I mean, I don't understand. I don't know how I would be able to project whether or not Hater can stand up to pitching every five days. You know, which he struggled to do in the minors at times. Whether or not he can hold his velocity for five or six innings. Whether or not he's going to be able to sequence better or be able to, you know, to throw his changeup well enough. Like those are things that we need to see. Um, and whether, and then once we see whether or not he can do those things, then I think we can better to better evaluate it. I do think that the organization has a desire to put him in the rotation. I think you saw that at the end of the 2017 season when he started to throw more changeups and they started to leave him in against right-handed, uh, right-handed batters more. Um, what but, do you think the step is that he needs to take for them to look at him and say, yes, he's going to go into the starting rotation. I think he's going to be able to have to throw something other than his fastball for strikes. Okay. So uh, it's because it's, it's expanding his repertoire. It's expanding his repertoire and being able, because right now he basically overpowers guys. He doesn't even throw his fastball for strikes all that often, mm. but he's, he's just so much better than, than everybody when they only get a chance to look at him once and lefties have no shot because of the, the, the arm angle and what he's able to offer. But his, his changeup flashed, you know, pretty decent at the end of the year. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's because I don't necessarily think his arm action looked great on it, but it's probably more the fact that there were a lot of guys that were gearing up for the fastball because he was throwing like, you know, 81 to 85% fastballs all year. And then suddenly started dropping changeups on guys in late September and they just weren't expecting it. Um, but the fact that he was willing to throw it and willing to throw it multiple times in outings, I think gives us a pretty good, good clue that he's working on it and knows that he needs to practice it in games. So ultimately I think it's going to be, I would need to see him do it in game situations. I don't even think you can really see that in spring because you can't really, you know, take off the training wheels in spring. But I think if the starting rotation is in a position in which they don't have a natural starting five, then you give Hater a shot and you let it and you try to have it work out knowing that the bullpen can be, you know, a viable backup option. But I think if you can craft a quality starting rotation without him in it, I think you make him a bullpen ace because it makes your overall pitching staff better. Okay, that seems fair. One thing I think I'd like to at least see them try to stretch him out in spring training and see what that looks like so that they can get an internal look at what his what the velocity looks like as he starts to throw 70 80 90 pitches which you know they haven't seen in a major league setting and i know it's spring training so it's barely major league well and well but the thing is is he's only going to be able to do that maximum once or twice oh yeah you're right because of the stretch out yeah so so you wouldn't even really be able to see what what that looks like in spring and having him do it every five days right yeah, no, that's true. So it's it's going to be a hard thing to get a gauge on, no matter what. I mean, they're yeah, it's, they're going to have to sort of go on a leap of faith. I at this point for me, I think another season in the bullpen is probably fine. But I would I would like to see them at least have some sort of a plan to try to get him to see what he looks like as a starter at some point do they, over do, the next couple seasons. Do they change his usage out of the bullpen this year? I mean, it it, it, it changed during the season last year. Yeah. 
where yeah, he came yeah. out. He came out in in very specific spots. He pitched a very limited role, and by the end of the season, he was covering multiple innings. Do we yeah. see more of a you know uh, September Josh Hader as his role in the bullpen, or do you think they kind of, uh, I guess, kind of make his appearances a little bit shorter again this season? No, I think you'll absolutely see more of the September Josh Hader. Yeah, I think if they if they want to keep him in the bullpen, they want to use him a lot and they want to use him for multiple innings and they want to use him in high leverage spots. I think that will absolutely be the role if he stays in the bullpen. And I think it's something he could thrive in. I think it is too. Fans are going to have to get used to the idea, though, that you can't expect to see Josh Hader every time you're protecting a one or two run lead because he's going to need days off. You're uh, going to yeah. have to give that guy time because if he's going, if he's pitching, you know, 30, 35, 40 pitches in an outing, he's going to not be available for a couple days. Yeah, is it going to yeah. be basically three to four days off? I mean, At for least using a couple. Hader? Well, I think it'd probably be... I think the earliest you'd be able to see him is every third day. I think I don't think he would need more than two days off if he's only throwing 40 pitches. Okay. But it's going to be... I think it's going to... Fundam- his role is going to depend on the fact of whether or not he can actually throw a changeup and throw it consistently because... I know guys were not able to handle his fastball, but they're going to have an entire offseason to watch tape. They're going to be able to understand that he can't throw strikes very often, and he's going to have to be able to prove he can handle right-handed pitchers over a long period of time if he wants to pitch multiple innings you know, every third day or whatever that looks like. Um, that's still a question mark, but I think if you're looking for an impact guy a la Andrew Miller, and I and I still understand that that's not necessarily a comp that a lot of people want to make, but they're not that dissimilar. And it's something that could really improve the bullpen over over the course of the season. It's just going to be a little bit unorthodox for people like Ryan was saying. I'll be honest, you know, I, li- I like to rag on, on relief pitchers, but the Andrew Miller type or using Josh Hader stretched out, I, that's the kind of pitcher I can get behind a little bit more. I think you can pull more value out of that. I think we've gotten so pigeonholed into how most guys are used that, you know, that it's like we need our, our seventh inning guy and our eighth inning guy to be able to get our ninth inning guy. And that's how you win ball games where this, I think gives teams at least some more flexibility. It's well, good to see them thinking a little bit differently. And we're yeah. far enough now away from the era where I've, guys are starting to learn that they don't have to rack up a bunch of saves to get paid as a relief pitcher. I think that's worth we've crossed over that point where that's starting to become a thing. Because let's be fair, for the longest time, it was totally true. Everybody wanted to close. Everybody wanted that ninth inning role because it was the way to get money. Like, and so I don't blame anybody for wanting to like get into that. But it's starting to it's starting to, well, you know, it was the way to the get money, direction. but it was also it was also the way to be able to pitch in high leverage spots. Like I I understand why Willie Peralta wasn't that enthused about pitching in the sixth inning in a, in a blowout game every second day when they weren't playing well. Like that's not, that's if you're a relief pitcher, you want to be guaranteed that every time you're in the game, you are in a high leverage spot in which it means something. Right. And that's why everybody wants to pitch at the back end because you know, you're going to be pitching in meaningful games. It's, it's absolutely money. I'm not taking that away, but it's also the fact that, the reason nobody likes pitching in the bullpen or traditionally nobody likes pitching in the bullpen is they, they want the games to matter. You know, the last thing you want to do is be pitching up, pitching in mop up duty. And, you know, it takes a special kind of guy to want to do that over a long period of time. But as you're saying, if you can prove yourself valuable in a lot of different ways, you can still get paid. 
Yeah, and that's we've we've seen that though you were talking about before the arbitration process is still weird and stupid and guys do still get paid based on saves in the arbitration process. So yeah, that's there hasn't there hasn't been a guy that's really come out as a one a first or second year player that's been an Andrew Miller type. Like we haven't had that type of pitcher hit hit uh arbitration yet. Well, we'll see what Josh Hader does, right? Like mm-hmm. he literally could be the first guy to really test that. And it'll be interesting to see versus what Knable's doing because Knable is getting racking up the saves and that he's going to be paid for that. That's part of the the deal. So well, they were trying mm-hmm. to keep Knable out of that position and then Naftali Feliz was a <laughs> they were trying to keep dumpster him out of that fire. <laughs> yeah, that's kind. <laughs> yeah. I, in the, on the spot I couldn't think of something that would have been uh more more apt. Speaking of Willie Peralta, since we just mentioned him, it is worth mentioning. He, uh, he is a Kansas City Royal. He's a Kansas City Royal, so he'll get that barbecue. Kansas City barbecue. It's no joke. It's good yeah, that's what, that's what Willie needs. <laughs> they also have good beer. Good beer and barbecue. In Kansas City or the Royals specifically? Uh, both. Okay. Though I didn't have the barbecue at the stadium, but I had barbecue at other places, and it was always good. Okay. Well, that's good for Willie that he found a landing spot. So um, anyways, if we're looking for guys to get traded from the Brewers, it seems like Domingo Santana right now is the guy that's getting the most interest. Um, the Giants have expressed some interest in Santana. Uh, and I mean, we've we've brought it up before. If the Brewers really want to acquire talent from somewhere, Santana is both young and has been productive. So he actually, you know, though it would be difficult to part with them, he makes the most sense if they actually want to cash in on somebody. So, I mean, I guess if they're they're looking to move Santana, you know, to like the Giants, is there anybody that kind of piques your interest from that organization that they, they could target? Like, what should, what should they be aiming for if they're going to shop Santana? Well, oh. those are two different questions, I suppose. Okay. But, I, no, I well, because be I was going to say, my, my first one would have been from the San Francisco Giants. Uh, no one. The, like there's I, nobody I, I, from the Giants. I mean, I like Helio. Uh, what was it? The the guy that they ended up taking in the draft this year, Helio Ramos. Uh, he was. Er, is that his name? I I'm gonna look stupid if that's not his name. Um, but his first name is Helio. Um, he was magnificent this year. He's a high. He's a high impact player. He is not somebody that you would want to headline any kind of deal with Domingo Santana. And unless, I mean, I I don't know who the Giants could give that would make it attractive. Well, and what is funny is that Santana would bring a much better prospect package than what Giancarlo Stanton just, you know, brought. Or or what the Giants were trying to get Stanton for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, outfielder Helio Ramos. Yeah, Yeah, good. There you go. I'm not a complete moron. No, you, you got that one. You nailed that one. Though it's spelled different than I expected. There's a T on the end of it, but yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, if you're dealing Santana, I don't see how you do it and not get pitching back. They'd, they'd be targeting young MLB ready pitching. Yeah, I would, that's what I would think. Yeah. It, yeah. Maybe guys that even have a little bit of time in, but then you're talking about almost like a challenge trade. If you're talking about doing something like that and yeah, teams just don't trade. I think if you're dealing Santana, it has to be with the understanding that this was the year where he showed what he really is, and the Brewers need to treat him like this is the value that he's going to produce going forward. Now, whether or not that's actually true, I don't know, but I think you have to set a really high bar 
on what you're looking for to get him. You don't just move him because we have extra outfielders and we can handle this. So you don't accept, you know, 80 cents on the dollar here or anything. You're looking to get full value on whatever it is you, you think he, he really is. Sure. Yeah, I that, think the, yeah, I, go saying, ahead. I think the only, I think the only way that Domingo Santana moves is if it is for a high end triple a MLB ready pitcher, which I don't see people really wanting to make that move uh, or is a part of a larger package for a stud. I, I don't really see a situation in which, you know, there's a challenge trade because you'd have to find the exact perfect situation in which some team has young pitching, you know, young excess pitching that has a hole in a corner outfield that really needs somebody like Domingo Santana. Um, I, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that that would really fit. When's the last um, challenge trade we saw anyway? I mean, would you have to go back to Garza for Delman Young? That was the one I was thinking. No, of. I mean, but well, I well, mean, I mean, does it have to be a challenge trade? Because again, and, and Josh and Josh Hamilton. Uh, sure. Okay. I think yeah, there's one sense. other one. I because I was just thinking about it the other day. Uh, that I think there is actually one other challenge trade that just worked out because it was a fluke thing. But ultimately I think it's either Domingo Santana, you get him for a young MLB ready pitcher and maybe a, a low level prospect, but that pitcher isn't going to be an elite pro- pitching prospect. Um, or you are moving him for uh, as a piece of a larger package for, uh, you know, I say he's a headliner I, I for that. an archer deal. Yeah, I was going to say somebody of Archer-esque, though I'm starting to get more and more skeptical that Archer is even going to be somewhat available. I think he's probably sticking. What about DeGrom? I know he's the other one we've brought up. The Mets, I don't think the, I think the Mets are terrified to do anything, honestly. Well, no, except they're apparently going to pay a bunch of money to a relief pitcher. So that's that's a thing they're going to do because there was just rumors that they're like, them. they're the ones who've offered Brian Shaw money. So, <laughs> and I'm sure there are there are also going to be good uh, a good rumors that they're trying to shop Matt Harvey for an impact bat or something <laughs> stupid like that. So, I mean, basically, Santana is Batman. Yeah, Santana's name is going to be thrown around a lot probably during these winter meetings. Yep. But the idea that he actually gets moved is probably unlikely. Less yeah, than I'd less than fifty fifty. Yeah, I would expect oh, yeah. Keon oh, Broxton yeah. is much more likely to be moved. Than- well, Broxton was another guy that was brought up in, in that, that article um, that the, the Giants had shown interest in him as well. Uh-oh, we're getting a visit. <laughs> going to come say hi. This is Steve's son making his <laughs> podcast debut. Well, we have heard his feet before. Say hi. From upstairs. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Hello? I'm just here. I'm here. Hello. Hello. I heard him. <laughs> you heard him. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> what'd you What'd you go and buy? Bye bye. What'd you get at the store? Bye. <laughs> we got popsicles. You got popsicles. Great. Nice. Nice. And we got. A candy for you and a candy for me. Oh, really? And then a candy for mommy and a candy. We got four candies. Four candies. What about candy for me? Yeah, what about Jim wants to know if you got him candy? I didn't. You didn't. Oh. What about me? What I'm about, sitting here. What about Ryan? We can't, we can't get five. We can't get five candy. No, I'm, I'm out. Of Even this. though there's only three of us, four candy stays in the house. 
Well, he's not a dummy. Too candy for him. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the, <laughs> that, that is the proper ratio. <laughs> God, what were you talking about? Uh, Keon Broxton. Yes. Yep. Uh, there's been interest in Keon Broxton. So, I mean, what should be the expectation on what Broxton could bring back? Because, again, w- we've seen Broxton show flashes. We've also, you know, seen what his flaws are. He's not... He could play center field, but he's not a great center fielder. He's hot and cold at the plate. So, I mean, like, what what kind of talent does that even bring back if they're shopping him? I would think it's either uh, probably some kind of middle reliever or low-level prospects. Like, low, or kind of like A ball, maybe rookie ball. I I mean. Like they're taking I know, flyers? I know. Somebody well, not you're... necessarily flyers, but like an Adam Lynn type deal. Right where you where you're getting three international guys who are you know 18, 19 years old. Yeah, somebody your pro scout saw and really really liked and kind of have put a bug in your ear about. But yeah, is is Broxton being shopped as a starter for a team? Like, is a I team would imagine a, a team acquiring Keon Broxton? He's not just coming in to be one of like four outfielders, but he's actually going somewhere to be a starting outfielder. I would imagine that anybody looking for Keon Broxton is envisioning him on somebody who like envisioning that he could potentially be a starter. Um, I don't necessarily think anybody is going to be trying to acquire him as an answer in center field, but somebody who can come in and potentially be a starter. What do you see, Ryan? You've like, you've wanted to see Broxton get a chance. You've been a Keon Broxton fan. Well, I wanted to see Broxton get a chance. I wanted to make sure he kept getting chances this year because I felt that there was he had shown enough and there's enough there, even though it's you wanted to rebuild it. You wanted to rebuild his trade value. I did. That's hundred um, percent. But also because I thought that, you know, there's enough there that he he adds, especially when he's hot. If you catch him on a hot streak, he can carry your team for a couple weeks offensively while also adding what I think is underrated defense. I don't, I'm not sure exactly where the defensive metrics miss on him, but I, it, it doesn't add up for me anyway. Well, but. part of the defensive metrics and the reason that they're an issue is because it's, it also depends on where you, your starting positions are, right? I mean, that's part of the reason why Norioki had such weird defensive metrics because he played so deep. Um, Keon Broxton usually plays pretty shallow. And so he gets he misses some some balls that other people get, but he also you know gets a lot of balls kind of coming forward. So it's a little bit of a weird situation, but I, I take the point for sure. Um, as for the other outfielders that could potentially get moved, I mean, I mean Brinson and Phillips come up, but it really seems like they want to give those guys a shot. If they didn't, I mean, unless they, they can, again, didn't get Brinson pried away this summer, you would think the odds would be higher that Brinson, if Brinson was going to get traded, it would have been this summer when they were, you know, unexpectedly contending as opposed to now for, when they have. For who? Hmm? For whom? Yeah. Who are they going to acquire at that time? Oh, I don't like, know. Like when they basically said we will not, they were not interested in, in moving Brinson for Sonny Gray. Like he, they, he was off the table for Sonny Gray, correct? That was widely reported well, right but that wouldn't have been a fair trade <laughs> like you you don't need you don't need to pay like paying lewis brinson for sunny gray is an overpay sure no but i'm saying the fact that they didn't want they they from all the reports we i've been led to believe i i think that they basically said 
they were not really willing to engage in discussing Brinson for just about anybody. I think if Tampa came calling and said that Chris Archer was potentially available in July and they wanted to talk about Lewis Brinson, I would be willing to bet a whole lot of money that David, that David Stearns would have been opening to listen. Okay. That, oh, that probably would have been a different situation, but we know it, they weren't on gray. And wasn't it also reported that they weren't really on Quintana as well? Right. But again, like I think that's a fact of, those pitchers weren't good enough to command Lewis Brinson, not that it was a situation in which they weren't willing to listen on Lewis Brinson. Well, I mean, Quintana was good enough to command. Uh, um, yeah. And everybody said it was a stupid trade. Yeah, there was. Well, there was some of that. There was, there was some mixed reviews on that one from Cubs fans. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, also just people that are very uh, flags fly forever as a general mantra. People liked it. Wow, sure. So, <laughs> so it, it, when people, is that one of my favorite sayings? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's coming as a shock, right? The flags fly forever. I, it's not one of my favorite sayings. Yeah, exactly. They do though. So I guess in this upcoming week, uh, any predictions for what you think the Brewers are going to do? I mean, what kind of moves are we going to see? Just kind of some low level, uh, low level moves, or are we actually going to see that that game changer that we all hope for? I would guess low level is, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's going to be a lot of just kind of like they acquire some guys to round out the roster. You would think at this point, the way that the time period where you make a bunch of big moves, big transactions, I think we're kind of in between where you make for what, you know, we were in the time period where you make a bunch of big sell transactions where you are giving, you're sending away current good players for large scale potential uh, future players and there will come a time probably when there's they they start doing the reverse of that where they are giving away young you know upside players to get current stud value I think they're somewhat in between those points right now so we shouldn't expect major stuff though at the right price anything could happen but it's it feels like they're more in a, a middle time period that way Okay, so we're kind of in a wait-and-see period for you. So, uh, JP, do you have any expectations for this week, or are you just going to kind of uh, hold on for the ride and see what happens? I mean, certainly the latter, but for the sakes of a podcast, I'll, I'll roll with a hot take. Um, I, think that, I, think by the end of, uh, I think by the end of the winter meetings, you'll see either um, Aaron Perez or Jonathan VR on the way out, and you'll see a uh, free agent reliever on the way in okay okay um, because i i have a hard time believing they're going to continue to look for options at second base while keeping aaron M. perez jonathan vr and eric sogard all on the roster by the way didn't it come out that neil walker wants like three years or more three to four years like that for, that's yeah. what he's demanding it was like before we were kind of speculating on it but he said three to four years well i don't think i, th- I think publicly jay, i think jay bruce said he wanted five years yeah that's Fantastic! I right. I, do I also I that. also want I also want five years. <laughs> I'll take I'll take a five year contract. <laughs> well, how old is Jay Bruce? Um, I don't know. Bronze age ish. Is he even that old? Because Bruce came up pretty young. He was up by the time he was like twenty. I'll I, I got you. He's thirty years old. Okay. Okay. So he's a couple years younger than I Bron. Mean, five years isn't crazy for a thirty year old. 
No, but he just hasn't been very good except for... Hey, I just said the number of years wasn't crazy for his age. I didn't say go out and sign Jay Bruce because of what he's done. <laughs> no, recently he is currently seeking five years, 90 million. <laughs> I hope he gets it from <laughs> a division rival. Good luck. I mean, J.D. Mar JD Martinez is trying to ride two good months into a $200 million deal, so... We all have to have hopes and dreams. I say go for it, guys. So, yeah. um, well, anyways, hopefully next week we actually have something to to talk about that's more real yeah, transaction. I mean, yeah, a real transaction say, to discuss because right now it's still I, all speculation. Yeah, and I think what you'll end up seeing is a situation in which David Stearns has been doing a lot of legwork in the background, and you'll see him make a deal that we're not expecting. It's the exact same thing where Tyler Thornburg. That deal happened during uh, the winter meetings, and they supposedly started talking about it a couple of weeks before the winter meetings, but it really hadn't hit, you know, a critical stage by any by any means until they showed up. And I think that he's got a lot of irons in the fire. He's probably talking to a lot of free agents. He's also talking to a lot of teams about players, whether it whether it's Keon Broxton, whether it's guys like Lewis Brinson, whether it's guys like Aaron and Perez, just across the board, I would expect a lot of discussions to be happening. And then we'll see what happens at the winter meetings in which some people start to get antsy about uh, making a move. And we'll see what the Brewers can do. So there you have it. JP thinks that uh, Dave Dombrowski is going to get the itch and trade for Ryan Braun. Right? No? Yeah, uh, that's what I heard. Yeah, that's what I heard. And then all that. Don't. Don't put Nick. Don't put Nick Cafardo in our podcast. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And actually, my brother got a new phone and uh, he didn't have his podcast set up, so I made him subscribe through Google Play. And he will be the only download we get through there because we've never gotten anything through Android. Well, it is all you Android users out there, yeah. What do you? What do you all use? I use Pocket Cast. The, yeah, because you sent it. To, you told me that it was good and it, it's fantastic. And so I, I know like that. It. And we get like Pocket Cast downloads and stuff like that, but none of them comes through the Android store. I use. But that's Overcast. me. Overcast. There you go. See, I my weekly download is the Pocket Cast. There you go. So. Well, if you want to, you can look for it in the Google Play Store as well. We do have it set up, even if nobody wants to use it. So, um, But you know what? If you do find it, go leave a review and help other people find the podcast, because that would be great as well. So uh, thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Fair with fair.